You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly podcast shining a light on all things Sweden. We are recording this on Thursday the 15th of September, four days after Sweden's election and the morning after we finally got a result. In this week's episode, we'll discuss what the result is and what sort of government we're likely to see. We'll try to get to the bottom of why the far-right Sweden Democrats had such a successful election. We will examine how Sweden voted in the municipal and regional elections. We'll also dig into some of the demographics to find out how young people voted and why men and women appear to have very different visions of Sweden. And finally, we'll talk about the Sweden Democrats' plans for limiting the rights of immigrants and how much of their policy they're likely to be able to get through Parliament in the next four years. I'm Paul Amani and I'm joined today by our regular panellists, James Savage in Stockholm and Richard Orange and Becky Waterton in Malmö. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Have you recovered from uh, covering election night yet? It's been a long week. Well, I mean, the election's only just ended, really. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, we, we woke up and we did the podcast on, on the Monday and then immediately Ben, the managing editor in Paris, was like, going, you've got to do this story, you've got to do this story, you've got to do this story. We're like, we went to bed at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I mean, come on. So, that's, um, that's just the way it is. I was at SVT this morning and saw Fawad Yousefi, who is their presenter. He does all the charts showing who's won and, who, and how all those scores are going. I saw him late on TV late at night, last night. And he was there at breakfast TV this morning. I think most journalists in Sweden are running on their spare batteries. I wonder if moment. he's just got a mattress in a cupboard at SVT somewhere. That he <laughs> on. I mean, did you see that tweet from Anders Holmberg, which it, praising him, but in brackets it said "dopad," which means kind of. Um, is he drugged is, up? Is he drugged up? <laughs> <laughs> is he taking advantage of stimulants? <laughs> Absolutely incredible. I, mean, I have to say that SVT did a really good job of this election. I thought they really did. So, as we discussed in our special election episode on Monday, the election was incredibly tight and the election authority told us we'd have to wait until Wednesday at the earliest to get a result when all the remaining overseas votes and late pre-election votes would be counted. And lo, it came to pass. Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson announced her resignation on Wednesday night and the parliamentary speaker will ask the moderate party leader Ulf Christensen to form a government. What will an Ulf Christensen government look like? And to start with, James, what parties do you think will be in it? I think it's pretty clear that the moderates will be in it and the Christian Democrats will be in it. And it will be supported by the Sweden Democrats and the Liberals. This isn't going to be an easy negotiation. The Liberals particularly and the Sweden Democrats are quite a long way from each other. They disagree on a lot. It's kind of self-explanatory. The Liberal Party is fundamentally a Liberal Party. 
and the Sweden Democrats are on the sort of populist right. So that's quite a bridge that Ulf Christensen has to build between those two parties. Quite a few commentators suggest that Ulf Christensen might try to bring the Liberals into the government. I think it's going to be difficult for Christensen to bring in one party without bringing the other. When when Jimmy Olkerson got onto the stage and made his big victory speech, one of the main things he drove was we want to be in the government. And 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 they put that pretty strongly and Richard Yomsov has also been saying, you know, we want to be in the government, why can't Jimmy be prime minister? So while they've said it isn't a red line, I wonder what they will ask for. I mean, that's obviously a negotiating tactic to a large extent. I think that's another consideration that will affect the Sweden Democrats here. And that's that if they're in government, they have to take responsibility. And it's very, very hard to be a populist party that takes responsibility. If you are outside the government with a knife against its throat, then you can get a lot of policy concessions out of them while not actually having to take responsibility. And that is a much more comfortable position in many respects for a populist party to be in. Can I just go back to the Liberals? Because I was watching um, Mats Knutsson, SVT's political commentator last night, and he was he seemed really convinced that, that Ulf Christensen is going to try to bring the Liberals into the government because otherwise his feeling was that they'll have too many sort of rebellious MPs. They'll be more loyal to the government if they're actually in the government. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, you know, it only takes two Liberal MPs now to defect to to leave the um, Liberal Party and start voting with the other with the op- with what is now going to be the opposition, I suppose. And you know, others may decide to defect if they try to push through policies that are not to the Liberals' liking. And if it only takes two, then it um, it's a real danger for this government. So if you have the Liberals inside the government, then it does make a lot of sense. The big winners in the 2022 elections, as, as we've been discussing, are the Sweden Democrats, a far right party that has improved its share of the vote in every election it has ever participated in. And in this year's election, it secured 20.6% of the vote to overtake the moderates and become Sweden's second biggest party behind the Social Democrats. What are being seen as the reasons for the Sweden Democrats' success in this election? One of the very obvious things to me is that all of the all of the big topics in this election have been on the Sweden Democrats' playing field. It's been It's been immigration, it's been kind of law and order issues it's been energy they've all been on the on the playing field of the right block they've all been their policies policies that work for them and Magdalene Anderson was asked about that in the press conference on Wednesday evening Magdalene was asked about whether she had sort of set the conditions for her own sort of defeat by campaigning on the right-wing party's main issues and she was very sort of she goes you know, people aren't worried about the things that are going well. We've got very high employment right now, as she kept repeating. And she was sort of saying, but but if people, if that's not a problem, then people aren't going to want to talk about it in an election. So it's the things that are going wrong that people talk about. And that's natural, she said, and there's nothing, nothing you can really do about it. You just have to accept that and fight on, on that territory. I mean, what's interesting is if you look at the um, exit poll survey on some of the, the right wing's main issues, like Sweden Democrats, 29% of voters said they had the best policies on immigration. And, you know, they, they were all also the top performing party on law and order, 24%. So it looks like, you know, if, if those continue to be the big issues, you know, Sweden Democrats could could have quite a long way to go. I mean, they, 30% of people think they've got the best immigration policy. I think looking at that, though, what's interesting is that on both those issues you just chose, so that's immigration and law and order, it's not the moderates that are in second place, it's the Social Democrats. Absolutely. And let's not lose sight of the fact that the Social Democrats are by some margin the largest party in Sweden still. They always have been or have been for 
many, many decades. Yeah, over 100 years. For over 100 years. And at this election, they actually grew. This was a really, really good election for Magdalena Andersson in every respect, other than that she lost. <laughs> <laughs> but she didn't lose. It was the other parties in her block that lost. Right. It was, no, it was but the she lost. The she lost because she is no longer prime minister. Her team yeah, I know what you mean. lost. Yeah. Her party did well, but ultimately she lost. You know, we can mention that this um, exit poll data we're talking about comes from SVT, carried out voter interviews in conjunction with uh, KTH and Gothenburg University. And some of the experts behind this exit poll have also pointed to cooperation as a factor that has really benefited the Sweden Democrats. As we've talked about more than once in this podcast, the Sweden Democrats were a pariah until 2019, when first the Christian Democrats and then the moderates brought them in from the political cold and gave them legitimacy. How has this normalisation manifested itself in this year's election? Well, I think for a start, you can look at the rhetoric from Ulf Christoshon in particular, where he's been lavishing praise on the Sweden Democrats in particular. You've also seen them cooperate on various different policy areas to do with crime and immigration, where they've, where, they, where they've indicated areas that they are in agreement on. It's interesting that that normalisation or that cooperation has been quite one-sided. Well, Christoshon has been lavishing praises on Jimmy Orkesson, the praise has not been returned. In fact, if you look at Jimmy Orkesson's summer speech that he made in August, he was really critical of the moderates and, the, and all the other parties. He's basically still saying that these parties have destroyed Sweden. It's not really a surprise that moderate voters went to SD when their when their leader's been telling everyone how great they are. Should mention as well that this exit poll initially showed the left bloc as the the winners of the election. So should you know take the data with a, a slight pinch of salt, but it does give us a good indication of things like voter flows. And and this chart shows that the Sweden Democrats got. A lot, of, a lot of votes from the moderates and the social democrats. A lot of voters switched sides. 14% went from the moderates to the Sweden Democrats and 12% from the social democrats to the Sweden Democrats, not so much from the other parties. And the polling data also showed that Sweden Democrat voters, more than any other group, said that the party leader, in their case, Jimmy Jokasson, was a big contributory factor in their decision to vote for the party. What can you tell us about that, Becky? Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Jokasson is is the Sweden Democrats. He's been the party leader since 2005. Even though he wasn't a founder of the party, he's still just so important. He's he's really kind of modernised the party in a way. He's had this whole kind of no tolerance to racism. He's made a massive effort to clean up the image. He's made it kind of this squeaky clean party that the right bloc can accept working with. So he, he's kind of responsible for the success of the Sweden Democrats, I would say. Him and the other three Lund University students that kind of rebuilt the party. I mean, it was touch and go whether they just started a new party from scratch because they that they kind of did a kind of reverse takeover of the Sweden Democrats. And I just think they changed the party so much that it's yeah. almost a different party. I mean, it's I think a, they probably would have been better off if they'd started off a new party from scratch because then it wouldn't have this history as a neo-Nazi party. I mean, that's kind of the big thing that's been an issue for Jimmy Orkerson throughout all this time. Like, if you look at populist parties in, in 
Denmark and Norway, they don't have this neo-Nazi history. So they've been kind of accepted into parliament much quicker. Hard for them to get around, though, isn't it, given that Jimmy Jokerson and the people around him joined the party when they were still um, neo-Nazis. Exactly. What does the data tell us about how important Jimmy Jokerson was for Sweden Democrat voters? Well, 80% of Sweden Democrat voters said that he had a he was very important to the party. Like he was he was one of the reasons that um, they decided to vote was because Jimmy Orkson was the leader. I just wanted to talk about this uh, story that's been in the news a little bit the, the last couple of days. The Sweden Democrats chief of staff, Linus Bülund, was asked what the party was going to be doing in the in the coming days. And he said journalist rugby. And he was asked, well, what, what do you mean by that? And he said pushing journalists. James, can you tell us a bit about this? Well, on the one hand, Linus Bülund would say that this is perfectly normal. This is what politicians do, that they they battle with journalists. If you ever see a politician in a journalist scrum, journalists with, you know, chasing after the microphones, trying to get a comment even when they've got nothing to say. In another context, you would understand that oh, maybe this is a joke. You can under, that understand the sort of situation that many politicians are in. They are playing journalist rugby. I'm sure if Magdalena Andersson had said the same thing. The problem is that Linus Bielund has a history Linus Bieland has a history of saying things that are anti-journalists, anti-media, being suspicious of the media, even describing journalists as enemies of the nation, which he did in 2016. So I think it's in this context that many journalists see this as extremely worrying. You've had the head of the Swedish Journalist Union going out and expressing a concern about this. I slightly feel, I mean, while I, I worry about press freedom and the and, and the hostility to the media that the Sweden Democrats have. It's a confrontational relationship between politicians and, and the press. But this morning, the, the Reporters Without Borders have also sort of put out a uh, statement saying that, that they're worried about the way the Sweden Democrats have been treating the media, both before the election, when a lot of news organisations, including us, weren't allowed to go to their election vigil, and with some of the statements afterwards, not just from Linus Björlin, but from Björn Söder as well. They had someone from the Committee Against Anti-Semitism who was complaining that he thought, he, he, he was worried about the, the Sweden Democrats getting so much influence. And then Björn Söder said that this was just lies. And he said that the, the SVT were being partisan and that it was pure propaganda and that, it, and that they should basically cut back on on public service because they, they're not doing a good job. He called for them to be cut back and, and, and reformed to stop them being so biased, which is really concerning. This is the same Björn Sader who questioned whether you could really be Jewish and Swedish at the same time. Yeah, and who has a good chance of, of yeah, getting a high up position if the Sweden Democrats ever got into ever got into the government. I mean, isn't he, they're calling for him to be Speaker of Parliament, Yeah, they want him to be Speaker. Just going back to the journalists issue, I think one of the things you've got to take into account here is that there has been an enormous rise in the number of journalists facing threats. I was sitting on the board of the Swedish Magazine Publishers Association last week, and there were two members of that board who'd received um, serious threats. One of them had to have protection as a result. I mean, it's it's an enormous problem in Sweden, and you can understand why journalist unions are really sensitive about it. 
Before we get on with the podcast, a big news story broke on Thursday afternoon, just a couple of hours after we finished recording, and we thought it was major enough to warrant a quick discussion. Annie Love said she was resigning as leader of the Centre Party after 11 years in charge. And I've got James Savage here with me to talk about it. It's now Friday afternoon. Why has she decided to step down? She had a really, really bad election, or the Centre Party rather had a really, really bad election. Not only did they drop two points in the polls since the last election in 2018, which was a very, very good election for them. But they also lost a lot of votes in some of their traditional heartlands in the countryside in the north of Sweden. Also, I think, you know, what, what she's saying is that, she, you know, she's been in the position a long time. She's proud of what she's achieved. She's standing tall and is glad that she stuck to her principles. And that those principles may mostly being not cooperating with the Sweden Democrats and working instead with the Social Democrats. So the, the centre party is a, a centre right party that to abandon the other centre right parties because they decided to cooperate with the Sweden Democrats. Is it likely that the centre party now will go back over to that side? Right, exactly. You know, this is the dilemma that they are faced with now. Ultimately, they fundamentally disagree with social democratic economic policy, but they also fundamentally disagree with cooperating with the far right, as to say the the Sweden Democrats. And this is what they've got to work out now. My understanding from um, talking to people in the party and close to the party is that they're unlikely to do a 180 degree turn and start working with the Sweden Democrats. But they're going to have to find a, a way to position themselves that gives them sufficient clarity um, for, for, for voters and, and credibility um, and makes them look like a constructive voice. She faced a lot of hatred and threats in her in the latter years of her leadership in particular. To what extent was that a factor in her decision? She said that it was a factor. She was the target of the man who killed Ingmarie Wiesegren in Almadalen. So she was his second intended target. She's also been subject to foul abuse um, in some of the, for instance, in the in the Sweden Democrats YouTube channel, Riks, where she's been called Sharia Annie and been mocked and, and treated 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 much, much worse than, than, than most of the other politicians on her side of politics. So and she said that was a factor. But I think that there were many, many other factors involved as well. So it probably would probably be wrong to single out this particular factor. But but clearly she says that it's one of the things that's that's persuaded her to throw in the towel at this point. Okay, and she's going to um, stay on as leader until they select a new leader. She'll be a caretaker leader until they select a new leader, but then she says she's going to leave politics altogether and do something else. So this is this is it for Annie Love. Okay, great. Thanks for coming back to talk about this big news story. And we're going to go back in time now to the Thursday morning recording. Let's just take a few minutes to delve into the results of the municipal and regional elections in and around Sweden's three biggest cities. And we'll also take a look at some trends in Norrbotten in the far north of Sweden. If we start with um, Stockholm, there have been some dramatic changes in the capital. What can you tell us about those, James? Well, the capital has swung firmly to the left. So regional level and at the national level and at the municipal level. And the mayor, Anna Koenig-Jalmir, has now been ousted. And um, the Social Democrats are now by far the largest party by a margin of 11 um, percentage points and are going to be able to form a left-wing coalition. And therefore, there will be a new mayor. 
who will be Corin Vanguard, who um, has in fact uh, been mayor before. Yeah, she has. Um, and the region? Uh, the regional election, again, a strong swing to the left. This is a result of urban voters having a particular dislike of the Sweden Democrats and then and wanting to boycott the parties that are allying with the Sweden Democrats to a greater extent. And I think that's, um, that, that's, that's certainly damaged the right in this election. Do you think there's been a Svenonius effect in, in Stockholm? You know, you're, so you're referring to the head of the uh, of region Stockholm, moderate, who's been in charge of primarily in, in the region in charge of transport and and particularly healthcare. And there have been an awful lot of scandals around the particularly around the new Karolinska, the new um, the, the new hospital in Stockholm, which has been criticised for all sorts of mistakes in the in the way it was in the way it was built, in the way it was in in the way it was set up. And she's got a lot of the blame for that. And yeah, I think that's absolutely part of this. I, I think this is not purely just a reflection of what's happening at the national level, but I think it has it has damaged them. It has damaged the moderates also. I think there is a, there is a certain element of regional politics involved in this mm. as well. If yeah. we move on to Gothenburg, Sweden's second city has also seen some dramatic shifts. What's been happening there, Becky? Yeah, so it's looking positive for the for the left wing bloc in Gothenburg. So it looks like there's going to be a change of power in Gothenburg as well. The Social Democrats in Gothenburg have gone up in the region election so that's the region of Västra Götaland uh, they've gone up by 5.1% to 27.9% and in the municipal elections they've gone up by 5.9% to 26.4% so that that is a big increase so it looks like the social democrats have gained most of their votes from Demokraterna which was a local party who their their vote has kind of collapsed in Gothenburg mm. But yeah, it kind of remains to be seen what kind of negotiations are going to go on, who's going to be controlling the region and the and the municipality. But it looks like it's going to be yeah, it, the Social Democrats have got kind of a good a good negotiating base there with a with kind of yeah. a good share of the vote. Great. Let's turn to Malmo now. What kind of um, developments are you seeing in in your part of the world at the municipal and and regional level? I think it's um, a very similar picture to Stockholm and. Gothenburg, apart from the fact that the, the Social Democrats were already in control. So the Social Democrats have, have grown quite considerably. They've, and also their support, the left party and the Green Party have also seen their support grow. And all the other parties have lost support. So all the parties that were backing the Sweden Democrats and the Sweden Democrats themselves have seen their share of the vote fall quite significantly, both in the national election and in the municipal election. And it's, you know, it's, it's a heavily divided city. I mean, wh- wh- where I live, in the in the, the the election district next to me, like nearly fifty percent of people voted for the left party, which is is I think it must be the highest in anywhere in Sweden. But then if you, it's really interesting to look at a map of Malmo because then all along the sort of coastal villa owning region, it's all moderate, and then the rest is social democrat. Mm. And where I live, which is like exactly on the boundary between apartments and villas, it's it's like twenty five percent moderates and twenty five percent. Uh, social democrats so it's really you can really see on the map of malmo what kind of people live where and 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 and, and again similar to um to gothenburg the, the the new nuance party did very well in a few immigrant districts like rosengord but they didn't get quite enough to get a seat in the municipal council and, and then more broadly in skorna the sort of the county around malmo is just shocking it, 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 extraordinary result for the Sweden Democrats. You look at the map, it's completely orange. They have, I think, 22 of the 33 
uh, municipalities and it's only the kind of Malmo and some of the coastal community uh, municipalities that, that have been won by the Social Democrats or the moderates. And again, in, in a lot of those, the Social Democrats look like they're going to take back quite a lot of moderate municipalities in those areas. Yeah, let's let's stick with that issue before we move up north. I mean, something else that's come up a lot in the last few days is that the Sweden Democrats have made massive inroads into voter groups that traditionally identify with other parties. So, for example, the Sweden Democrats enjoy almost as much support among unionised working class voters as the Social Democrats. They're almost as big among business owners as the moderates. And if we look geographically, the Sweden Democrats are now the biggest party in quite a lot of places. Where have they seen uh, the biggest growth? I mean, you mentioned Skåne. I mean, more or less everywhere. I mean, that, that's what's striking is they've grown their share of the vote in pretty much every uh, municipality in Sweden, apart from Malmö, Overtornio, Lund and Landskrona. And that's on the municipal election rather than the national election. But where they've gained the most new voters is in the northern rural parts of the country, which might be because of the high fuel costs. I mean, these are places with long distances between settlements. So in Norrbotten, they won 20% of the vote, up from 15% last time. In Vesterbotten County, 14.5%, up from 10% last time. Uh, and in Jävleborg, which is, you know, the beginning of Norland, they got 20... <laughs> they got 24.2% up from 19.6%. So they're sort of taking five percentage points across the board, really, in the north of Sweden, which is pretty dramatic. And then, obviously, back in Skåne, what I find most interesting is in the four municipalities that Sweden Democrats already control, Sölvesborg, Herbie, Buv and Sverlov, they grew in each of them by between 4 and 10%. So Sölvesborg, they grew their share of the vote by 10 percentage points. And that's Jimmy Orkerson's home municipality, and it's the place that I visited at the end of August, was it? And uh, for, for their for their summer speech. And, and it was striking that it was hard to find people who had really hard criticisms of the Sweden Democrats' handling of the municipality. Even the left party said, well, they've managed schools and everything okay, but they've sort of changed the, the atmosphere. You know, they didn't have anything concrete that they could say was, was wrong, which I found really interesting. And I wonder whether they will take the same approach nationally in that they will, at least for the first term, try not to be too disruptive, try not to change too much, try not to sort of enact some of their more sort of controversial policies. I don't know at the same time how much immigration policy can you affect when you're only in the municipality level. Like their their kind of big question is immigration, which is something you can only really change at the governmental level. Absolutely. And that's what the, the I spoke to a left party person in service board and he goes, well, you know, municipality, a lot of stuff just runs itself. You know, he said that there's not that much they can change at a municipality level. There's not that much they control. So so things haven't changed so much. You mentioned that they've that they've gained quite a bit of support in the, in the far north. What sort of other trends are we seeing there, James? Well, I think one of the most striking things that's happened in the far north is that the centre party has shrunk dramatically. They used to be the party of the north, the party of the countryside. And if you look in, for instance, uh, the municipal election in average hour in the far north, they fell by 14.5%. That's massive. I mean, they also fell at the national level and at the regional level um, among voters in Arvijau and in Nordbotten, which is, the, which is the region. But what we've also seen is that the Sweden Democrats have made huge inroads into um, this part of Sweden. This was 10 years ago, not a region that the Sweden Democrats had 
an easy time in. They, they really didn't succeed in the North. The North was still Social Democrats and Centre Party. But now it's pretty much like the rest of the country. In fact, if you look in um, average hour and how they voted in the general election, the Sweden Democrats outperformed their national vote. They ended up in 24%. So this is a massive change. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Another aspect of this election that has raised a lot of eyebrows is how popular the right-wing parties are among young voters. Uh, let's talk a little bit about first-time voters in the 18 to 21 age bracket. How did they vote in this election and how have this group's preferences changed over time? So one of the strange things, I think kind of traditionally, is you expect that young people are going to be more left-wing. But in Sweden, they're not. In Sweden, young people are more likely to vote for the, most likely to vote for the moderates. They were on uh, 26% of voters between 18 and 21 voted for the moderates. This is, again, a poll by SVT Volo, so it's not it's not entirely accurate. This is kind of uh, based on polling. So this is a prediction. 22% for the Sweden Democrats and then 20% for the Social Democrats. I think what's interesting about this with regard to the Social Democrats, it's a historic trend that they have underperformed among young people and their strongest voter groups are among older people among pensioners. So it's a real demographic problem for the Social Democrats. Yeah, I mean, if we consider the next generation of voters, uh, schools across the country also held their own elections to sort of get young people into the swing of the democratic process. And if we look at grades seven to nine, which means mostly 13 to 15 year olds, which uh, parties would have got their votes if their ballots had counted? So, yeah, again, it's, it's the same story. It's 24%, just over 24% for the moderates, 21%, nearly 22% for the Sweden Democrats, and then 16% for the Social Democrats. So it's the same story as right-wing, young voters in Sweden appear to be right-wing, which is not what you might expect. Maybe in Sweden, the um, Social Democrats are in some ways the kind of small-c conservative party that you kind of gravitate to as you become kind of old and conventional, whereas in the the, the right-wing parties seem like they're something new that can change things and be revolutionary. And everyone, everyone has heard of the supposed planetary dwellings of men and women on Mars and Venus, respectively. But in Sweden, the figures suggest that men are from Skåne and women are from Norrbotten. Terms and conditions apply. Richard, what can you tell us about the discrepancy between how men and women have voted in the national election? It's a relatively 
big chunk of votes. If 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 men had been stripped of their voting rights, which you may or may not think is a good idea, um, women, the, the, the bloc led by Magdalena Anderson would have swept the board. They would have got a, a 56% majority, easy majority. The Social Democrats would have been on 34%. And Sweden Democrats would have been down at 16%, which is still significant, but way below what they got in the nation as a whole. And then if you flip it the other way and only men voted, the Social Democrats actually still do quite well. They're on, they would be on 26%. And the, but, and the, and so with, but the Sweden Democrats would be doing a lot better. They'd be on 25%. So a quarter of men in Sweden voted Sweden Democrat. So among women, if you choose, kind of the, if you choose the topic of uh, refugees or migration, the Sweden Democrats are in second place behind the Social Democrats. If you look at law and order... The Sweden Democrats are in third place behind the moderates and the social democrats. This is again for women. If you look at energy and nuclear power, you've got the Sweden Democrats in fourth place after the Green Party, the moderates and the social democrats. And then if we do that for men, if we look at um, refugees and immigration, SD, the Sweden Democrats on 36% of men said that they had the best, the best policy on um, refugees and immigration. And then social democrats on 18, moderates on 13. And then in law and order, we've got the Sweden Democrats, 30% of men said that they had the best policies on law and order, then the moderates, then the social democrats. Uh, And then if we look at energy and nuclear power, we've got the moderates 29, social democrats 19, and the Sweden Democrats 17. So very, very obvious kind of differences there in that women were more likely to put the social democrats first and men were more likely to put the Sweden Democrats first on those three major issues. Okay, let's let's look now at the Sweden Democrats and what we know about their plans to tighten immigration laws. Although it's not clear if they're going to demand ministerial posts, there is a school of thought that reckons their size means they'll effectively be pulling the strings by insisting on a wide range of policy concessions, particularly on immigration, before giving an Ulf Christensen-led government the green light. And obviously this is deeply concerning for a lot of our listeners, given the party's roots in the extreme right and its long-held insistence that Sweden's immigration laws are far too lax. So how are immigration rules likely to change in Sweden over the next four years? In quite a lot of ways, if the Sweden Democrats get their way. And some of these policies are quite similar to policies actually held by the moderates, so they could actually have a very good chance of getting through. In fact, you see that these parties have aligned quite a lot on some of these migration issues. The first issue is around social security benefits. So the Sweden Democrats would like to limit the right to certain social security benefits to Swedish and EU citizens. So these might be social benefits related to various um, child benefits, adoption benefits, sickness benefits, housing benefits, disability benefits, nursing benefits, and even some kinds of parental leave benefits. It's the residency-based benefits, not not the contributions-based benefits, but those benefits that you get just by living in Sweden. Um, If you're contributing, you'll probably still get the benefits the same as everybody else, but you won't get them just based on residency. These are minimum level benefits. EU citizens, for obvious reasons, can't be denied these benefits. It's an EU It's an EU right. The EU citizens have the right to be treated the same way as Swedish citizens if they're living here legally. But then interestingly, in this document, this, the Sweden Democrats said that they wanted to limit them to Swedish citizens as much as possible. And then they kind of, the next section says kind of, 
we can't limit them to EU citizens because it would require kind of a renegotiation of the Europe of European law. But they've they've kind of hinted there that if they could only offer it to Swedish citizens, they would. Absolutely, and you know this is Sweden Democrats were until quite recently in favour of leaving the EU, so they're not hundred percent keen, perhaps, on the the uh, the notion of. Uh, equal benefits for EU citizens, but anyway, they're not going to—they're going to touch that right now. So that's really what matters. Also, they have their sights set on permanent residency permits, so they basically want to get rid of permanent residency permits, which right now you can get after three or four years in the country. They want just to have temporary residence permits that could be longer or shorter, but all temporary. And very closely connected to this is the right to citizenship. And this, I think, for a lot of our listeners is going to be the really big issue. Right now in Sweden, it's pretty easy to get citizenship. You can get it after five years, even three years, if you're married or living with a Swede. What the Sweden Democrats want is to raise this threshold to 10 years. So you wouldn't get citizenship in Sweden until you've been here 10 years. You would also have to prove that you'd mastered the Swedish language and had understood things about Swedish society, um, rules, laws, responsibilities, and rights. So you would have to somehow do some kind of test before you got citizenship. And on this point, the Sweden Democrats are in agreement with many other parties, including the moderates, um, but also the Social Democrats, in fact. Um, not Not on the time requirement, but on the test requirement. The moderates also want a raised time requirement for citizenship. They say seven years, with the moderates saying seven years and the Sweden Democrats saying 10 years. This seems like quite a likely uh, change to be enacted at some point. And then again, on the other side, the Liberals are against most of this. So how much are the Liberals going to put up a fight? Absolutely. But the Liberals are going to have to choose their fights. And the question is whether citizenship, for instance, is going to be something they're going to choose to fight about rather than something else. This is going to affect you, isn't it, Becky? I saw that you were tweeting about this yesterday. Yeah. So, I mean, I, under the current rules, it's a long story, but I, I qualify for citizenship after three years because I'm married to a Swede. But because I'm not from the EU anymore, um, I need a permanent residency permit, which I'm not going to be able to get for I don't know when. It depends when my current my my residence permit I've got now actually gets renewed. So I should theoretically be able to apply for citizenship in November this year, but I can't. That's a different story actually. But I I calculated that kind of okay. Well, if I'm only going to be having temporary residence permits from now until I can get Swedish citizenship, my daughter who is Swedish, it she'll be ten years old because I'll have had to live here for ten years before she finds out if I've got permanent residency in the country. I will be living in Sweden. Like, this also applies to everyone if this becomes law. The only way you'll find out if you can permanently live in Sweden, if you're going to have the right to stay there permanently, is if you get citizenship. And that's going to take 10 years. Until then, it's going to be a case of renewing a residency permit every single time it runs out and then still having to kind of fulfil the reasons that you you came, like still having to prove that you can you, you, your, your partner can can financially support you or you've got a job or something until you get citizenship and then the actual process of getting citizenship is going to be harder as well and under these rules I'd be able to apply for citizenship after 10 years I would have to complete a test on what I know about Sweden on top of that would have to complete a test on 
um, my Swedish language skills. You have to include an explanation that you've understood the responsibilities and duties that citizenship entails. They've said that they expect that citizens of Sweden see Sweden as their homeland. They have respect for and loyalty for Sweden. Let's remember this is actually quite normal for a lot of other countries. I mean, the whole idea of language tests, oaths. These changes will be a radical change compared to what we have now in Sweden. But they're not that radical from an international perspective. These are very similar kinds of stipulations that you have in lots of other countries. A 10-year wait for citizenship is quite common in other EU countries. I mean, if you're just going through this, it does highlight that the Sweden Democrats is an ethno-nationalist party. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's not anyone who still says it's not far right or not a sort of hard nationalist. It's, you have to, you have to become properly Swedish. Yeah, I mean, they talk about like loyalty to the country, loyalty to your national identity. They say the reason they don't want permanent residency permits is because they say that the right for an immigrant to live in Sweden should never become close to the right of a citizen. That's why they don't like permanent residency permits because they see it as just they, they see it as devaluing citizenship. They say that it just means that citizenship is just an upgraded permanent residency permit, which it, which it, in, it has in a way. They have a sort of point on that. But then by pushing citizenship so far out of reach of people, they also make it an impossible goal. Mm. So, yeah, and I think this is going to deter a lot of people. I mean, this is the reason they want to do it. They want to deter people from moving to Sweden. But it's also going to deter people. If you have a great job offer in Sweden or a great job offer in a country that is going to give you a permanent residency permit, you might choose the other country because why should I start a family in Sweden if I don't know if I'm going to have the right to stay there? What happens if I get if I lose my job? Like, am I going to be kicked out? I'm going to have to live there for 10 years before I can vote, that kind of stuff. Like, that, that's something that people weigh up when they're deciding where to live. I think that's a really... That's a really good question. I mean, what is going to going to happen to to people who are already here if they if they lose their jobs, for example? Is it going to be more difficult for them to to stick around and look for a new job? Well, we don't know what form this legislation is going to take if indeed it takes effect at all. First of all, it has to be agreed within the coalition. Then it has to get through parliament on the back of a majority of two as it looks right now. So, we don't know, but clearly if if the Sweden Democrats policy becomes law, it is going to be a lot harder for some people to stay in Sweden because they're not going to get citizenship and they're not going to get permanent residency. They're going to get temporary residency. And if something happens between when you get temporary residency and when you have to renew it, of course, you could end up losing your right to residency and having to leave the country. Yes. Just one one final question. How do you think a government supported by the Sweden Democrats will change the debate climate in Sweden over the next few years. Look at what happened in Denmark, where, where the debate climate changed so dramatically from being a bit, little bit like Sweden was 10 years ago. You know, everybody, oh, we're a humanitarian country, we're sort of relatively nice to immigrants, to being somewhere where people will make racist jokes about Muslims around over a beer and nobody, nobody bats an eyelid, I'm told, in some circles. And I wonder whether this is, you know, crude cultural stereotyping, but I feel Swedes, on the one hand, are more moderate than the Danes. They're less free spoken and everything tends to get a bit muted when it comes to Sweden from Denmark. So maybe that won't happen to the same extent as it did in Denmark. But on the other hand, I feel Swedes are a bit more consensus culturally. So, you know, it's, it's more of a consensus culture generally, and people are less likely to go against the dominant ideology, the dominant kind of ideas. So maybe, maybe it could be 
like Denmark, but without so many people saying this is terrible. What's what's happened to us as a country? Uh, um, I, I, it'd be interesting to see what happens. What I'm thinking might happen as well is just that the Sweden Democrats, having never been in government, they've never had to actually enact their policies. They've been able to just come up with whatever they want and never had the criticism of, oh, but you didn't do anything you said you would. Now they've said they're going to do a lot of stuff. How much of that are they actually going to be able to do? Will their voters forgive them for that? Do they expect them to to do more? Like, how are voters going to react after four years when the Sweden Democrats have had to make compromises? That's another question. If you look in the, in, in America, they, they'll just have a betrayal narrative. They'll go, we've been betrayed by our partners. Yeah, it's um, someone else's fault, which is really an argument to have them in the government. I think the moderates don't want them in the government and the liberals don't want them in the government and the Christian Democrats don't want them in the government. But actually, in terms of making them responsible for everything that happens, good or bad, that would actually be quite potentially quite an effective strategy. Diffuse the bomb. Diffuse the bomb, potentially. But let's remember, the Sweden Democrats have dominated Sweden's debate for the last eight years. It's all that anyone has really spoken about. Um, All the other parties have adapted their policies on crime, on immigration, to whatever the Sweden Democrats are saying. I say all the other parties, not all the other parties, but many of them from the Social Democrats to the Christian Democrats. We're not going to see them dominating the debate even more because they couldn't. They already do. But they will have responsibility now. The Sweden in Focus podcast is free to listen to, but it's made possible by readers becoming members of The Local Sweden. You can support us by heading to thelocal.se and subscribing with the reduced rate for podcast listeners at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer. You'd also be giving us a helping hand to promote the podcast and bring us to new listeners if you take a moment to rate Sweden in Focus, whether on Spotify or Apple or Google Podcasts. Thank you for your support. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening and make sure to check out the links in the description if you want to read up more on some of the topics we've covered. I'd like to thank our regular panellists, James Savage, Becky Waterton and Richard Orange and our wonderful sound engineer, Reese Edwards. I'm Paul Amani and you've been listening to Sweden in Focus. Until next week, take care. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.